Would you still love me if you knew what I've done? Would you still love me if you knew what I've done? This is a question that all of us carry with us in every interaction we have with people, in our coworkers, with our friends, with our family members. We carry this question with us, but oftentimes it's not in the way that we ask it directly. I've never said, would you still love me if you knew what I've done? But it's in the things that we share and the things that we don't share. It's in the way we measure our responses to the situations and the conversations. It's the level of vulnerability that we are able and willing to have with others. That is how we ask this question. And we all carry it with us, but we also carry with us what we think will be the answer. No, of course not. You are unlovable. We carry with us this internal dialogue of, if they only knew where I've been, they would never stay with us. If they knew what I've done, they would never keep trusting me. They would never keep loving me. And because shame tells us that that is the answer, we never ask, and we never share, and we never take the risk to move our relationships from shallow into personal. In the book, It's Personal, that this series kind of stems from, there's a great quote that encapsulates this that I want to read for you. It says, the greatest trick that shame plays on us is its ability to alienate us from the one thing that might help, love. In the absence of love, shame has full permission to run rampant through our conscious and unconscious minds. The greatest trick that shame plays on us is its ability to alienate us from the one thing that might help, love. And in the absence of love, shame has full permission to run rampant through our conscious and unconscious minds. And when that happens, we never ask, we never share, and we never get personal. (coughs) On that note, I wanna get personal with you guys. Uh, My name's Rebecca. Um, I'm the Park Kids coordinator here, and I have been for about the last three years, which means for the last three years, I've had the best job in the world, and you haven't, sorry. Um, But before I worked here, I was a teacher, and as a teacher, every morning we would start the day with a question on the whiteboard, um, a do now question, so the students would come in and do it then. 
So on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we would have a writing prompt. Can you imagine? Would you rather? What would it be like? Any sort of writing prompt, and this was a little strategic on my part because I had more time to grade things on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so I made it a little easier for myself. On Thursday and Friday, there was just a math word problem on the board because those are a lot quicker to grade. And so I know that it's not Thursday or Friday. I am well aware that it is Sunday, but I thought that I would start today by giving you a math word problem because if you're anything like me, you haven't had near enough coffee and your brain feels really heavy from it being so hot outside. So I thought I'd wake you up a little bit, but it's also a good way for you to get to know me a little bit more. So you ready? Okay. I have two amazing kids. Luke is 10 years old and Jacob is six years old. In two months, I will be 31 years old. You really quick ones now have figured out how old I am. Congratulations. In two days, I will be celebrating my eighth wedding anniversary with my incredible husband, Dan. Now, thank you, it's great, it's eight years, it's, good. it's a big deal. Now, I, want, I can see a lot of you have like light bulbs above your head right now. You've done that math correctly. Congratulations, you can move to third grade. I've been married for eight years. My son is 10, good job. That is what I've done. That is where I have been. But that is not all I can do. That is not all of who I am. You may or may not have known someone who's been in that same situation. You may or may not have been in that same situation yourself. I don't know. But I do know that you've been somewhere. I do know that you've done something. And I do know that we are all called to get to know where others have been so that we can take our relationships from shallow to personal, so that we can show love, so that we can talk down shame, and so that we can give hope. And that is what this series is all about. Not just that we can show love because we do love the other person, but so that we can show love so we can show them how much Jesus loves them. Two weeks ago, Matt started this series by looking at what happens when we know the answer to the question, do you know my name? And he looked at the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus goes up to Zacchaeus and he calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, come down. And in that moment, Jesus showed that Zacchaeus had value. And last week, we looked at what happens when we know the answer to the question, do you know what matters to me? And we learned that what mattered to Zacchaeus was not actually what everyone thought. It was not money, but rather it was something much more valuable. And Jesus took the time to get to know what mattered to Zacchaeus. This week, I want to start 
looking at the story of Zacchaeus one more time for what happens when we know the answer, do you know what I've done? Now, seems like a no-brainer. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Everyone knew what Zacchaeus had done. It wasn't a secret. He was a little bit of a jerk. He was a swindler. He took money for his own betterment. That's what Zacchaeus had done. And because that's what he had done, that's how people treated him. They treated him like he had no value, like he was unlovable, that there was no hope for him. But Jesus took the time to call him by name, to get to know what mattered to him, and to say to him, yes, I know what you've done, but I love you still, and there is hope for you. I really relate to Zacchaeus in a lot of ways. Um, I've been faced with a situation where everyone would know what I had done. And I, I understand what it's like to want to go and hide. Because when you're faced with that situation, it's a very hard place to live, especially in the church community. It is a very hard place when everyone knows what you've done. And you want to go and hide. But just like Zacchaeus, I could not hide. I could hide the way that I was dealing with it, though. I could hide the way that I felt unworthy and the way that I felt shame. And that shame was confirmed every day by complete strangers. I would walk down the street from the Starbucks to where this church used to meet and I would get dirty glances. I would hear nasty comments daily, even in this world that we think is so progressive, I still got them every single day. But those people didn't know my name. So they kind of hurt, but they also kind of rolled off my shoulder. But there were people who did know my name. There were people who did know what mattered to me. And they still confirmed my inner dialogue. No, you are not worth loving. No, I am not going to stay with you. The people who I thought I could go to, the people who I thought I would receive love from, I received the exact opposite. I became unlovable and my internal shame took over my life. My public shame matched my internal struggle, and the people I thought I could count on made me feel isolated and alone. But thankfully, by the grace of God, there were also people who stayed. Thankfully, by the grace of God, there were also people who took the time to stay and say, yes, I know what you've done, but I love you still. And there is still hope for you. You are not only deeply loved by me, but also by 
Jesus. They showed me this in a couple of ways, one of which was by speaking my name, literally. I was with my friend, and I was talking to her, and instead of the response of, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay in school? Where are you going to live? Are you going to get married, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? She asked one very simple question, and that meant so much to me that I can close my eyes, and I remember everything about that moment. I remember where we were sitting at Riverside Park. I remember the smell of low tide. I remember the moon on the water. I remember the smells and the sounds. I have everything about that moment because it meant so much to me because she very simply looked at me and said, Rebecca, how are you? She showed me that I had value outside of what I had done. If my one friend showed my, that I had value by speaking my name, I had another person show me that I mattered by giving me the gift of time. And she did this in an extremely simple and seemingly silly way. We sat in her little tiny apartment and we played duck hunt. Um, this was on the Wii, it just came out, and we played Duck Hunt, and she loved it so much, and she's one of those people that when she's excited, you're so excited. And so we did that for an hour. She just gave me the gift of her time, and she made me see that I was worth that outside of what I had done. I was more than that. She took the time to move our relationship from shallow into personal. And of course, there were also the people who took time to pray for me. But I also remember vividly the person who took time to pray with me. I remember the smell of them making coffee and cleaning the floor at Starbucks at the same time, which is a strange smell. I remember the way it was way too cold in here, just like it is now. The air conditioning's too high. Um, I remember everything about it because she took time to pray with me and not just for me. She took time to know that, let me see, that God was still with me also. She helped me to have hope that my pain could be turned into God's purpose. There's a beautiful encounter that Jesus has with someone that shows us again what happens when we know the answer to, do you know what I've done? And we respond, with yes, and I love you still. We can find it in John chapter 8, and this is what it says. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. 
what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Everyone knew what this woman had done, but they saw no value in her. We don't even learn her name. They placed no value on her life. As a matter of fact, all they cared about was using her to try to trap Jesus. They met her shame with greater shame. But look at how Jesus responds. The text continues and says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus did not condemn her, but rather he convicted others, and one by one they left, and Jesus stayed. Jesus showed her love and value by staying with her. It is so beautiful. Jesus knew where she had been, everyone did, but through his presence, he spoke love. And then the story continues and finishes like this, it says, Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go on your way, and from now on, do not sin. Jesus stayed when everyone left. This woman was worth his time. She had value and was worth real life-changing love. This woman was worth forgiving. That book, It's Personal, says you demonstrate forgiveness when you learn to respond to someone in a way that replaces shame with hope. By Jesus seeing her in her shame, standing up for her when no one else would, staying with her when no one else could, he gave her hope. And not just for her physical life, which was saved, but hope for a true life. Because with those people also left the struggle that she was going through. With those people, he also sent away her shame. And then he sent her forward with her internal dialogue changed. Because she now knew and had experienced that she was worth the work of moving from shallow to personal. Now, how do we take this story? How do we take my story? How do we take the story of Zacchaeus and apply it so that we can do the same, so that we can move from shallow to personal, so that we can show other people's love, so that we can show them Jesus? 
Well, first, we have to recognize something. In all three of the stories that I told today, what the person had done was known by everyone. But more often than not, that's not the case. And even when there is public shame, there's often 90% more under the surface. That public shame is just the tip of the iceberg. And we have to work to move from shallow to personal so we can get to know what's really underneath. So that we can earn the right to know. So that we can be trusted enough to hear what they've done and where they have been. In all the stories, we had no chance to hide. But the best thing that you can do is to become a person who is safe so that if people are hiding, they can be with you and they can know that, yes, you know where they've, what they've done, but you love them still. And the way that we can become safe is first by knowing their name and by knowing what matters to them. And if you haven't heard those first two sermons, there's really good practical steps in them. Go back and listen. And when we know those two things, we start to establish history with them. We start to establish a relationship with them. There are a few other practical things that we can do to help us to become safe people, to become someone who is trusted with somebody else's confession. We can give them time. Our personal time through a cup of coffee, through playing duck hunt, through sitting in a park with them as they cry. Time is our most precious commodity. We do not have a lot of it, and there is a lot buying for it. When we give someone time, we show that they have value. But we also need to give them our linear time, because to build trust takes time. We have to know that it's going to be more than one cup of coffee. It's going to be more than a month. It could be years before someone is actually able and willing to share what they have done with you. We have to give them our time. Another thing that we can do to help us to become safe people for others to share with is we have to be willing to be intentional. We have to go into conversations prepared. We have to ask good questions. We have to be intentional with the way that we respond, with our words, with our actions, with our facial expressions. We have to be intentional in every exchange to be a safe person. That doesn't mean that you don't be genuine, but it does mean that you go prepared. That way, when they do share something, they know you are ready to stay. We also have to be intentional with only a few people. We cannot do this for everyone. We can love everyone. We can try to know everyone's name. We can know what matters for a lot more people. But when we really know what people have done, it can only be for a few. 
So we have to be intentional with those that we choose to make that effort. And the last thing that we can do to become a safe person is that we have to be willing to be vulnerable ourselves. And of course, vulnerability will look different depending on the relationship that it is. If it's a parent to a child, the level of vulnerability is gonna look a lot different. If it's a teacher to a student or a youth leader to a high school kid or a middle school kid, vulnerability is gonna look different. Vulnerability looks different with your coworkers. What you share and how appropriate it is and where you share it, that all matters. Vulnerability with your family is really, really difficult because sometimes family is difficult. So that is gonna look different. And vulnerability with your friends can hopefully be another level of vulnerability that you're not able to have. But if we are not willing to be vulnerable in those relationships, then they might also never know how to be vulnerable themselves because we have to lead by example. So when we are willing to be vulnerable, other people will start to trust us and say, this is someone that I can share where I have been with. When we have become a safe person, then we can start to respond in a way that shows love, that talks down shame, and gives hope. And we can do this mostly by looking at who Jesus is and the way that he responds. In the story, it says, one by one they left, but Jesus stayed. When the whole world leaves, we have to stay. We have to speak value and remind them that they are seen and known that they are worth our time and that there is hope for them, not just to come out on the other side alive, but to come out full of life. Jesus remained when everyone else had left. When we know someone's story and we know where they've been, what they have endured or are still enduring, and we still choose to love them. They begin to see their value, perhaps for the first time, and then their internal dialogue can start to shift. One by one, the people left, but Jesus stayed. And he not only stayed, but Jesus, the one person who could ever have the right to throw a stone, did not condemn her. Instead, he offered her hope. We are called to stay and see people as Jesus sees them, to create trust as someone who is going to be there, who is someone who is going to offer forgiveness and grace when the whole world offers judgment and condemnation because that is what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. That is what we're going to celebrate as we have baptisms in a moment. That is what we remember every single week when we take communion. 
And that is why we do the hard work to move from shallow to personal so that we can see others as Jesus sees them and offer them forgiveness and grace, the freedom from condemnation and the hope that is only found when they encounter who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for offering us freedom, for taking the time to know us and not condemn us despite where we have been. Thank you for loving us, Lord. Help us to love others. Help us to see them as you see them, Lord. Help us to stay when the whole world leaves. Help us to do the hard, messy work of moving from shallow to personal so that others can see you. In your name, amen.